Good morning, everybody. You know, as we endeavored on this series to discuss the attributes of God, it is a major undertaking um, because there's so many different attributes that we could discuss. And even if we whittle it down to the few we are going to discuss, there's so much to be said. And as, as the Bible says, you know, if the whole world were a scroll, there would not be enough books in the world to write of the goodness of God. Um, but today we're going to talk about the grace of God. And I think it's very important that we understand the grace of God for three reasons. Because when we misunderstand the grace of God, we misunderstand how it applies to us, how it applies to others, and how it applies to God. You know, if we misunderstand God's grace, then we swing the pendulum of thinking, I am not worthy of the grace of God, or we swing it to the other side of we presume on the kindness and goodness of Christ, and we think we can just do whatever we want, because all I've got to do is come down to the altar on Sunday, and that's my, my license to send card. It also affects the way we apply grace to other people. Because again, if we misunderstand God's grace, we swing it from the pendulum of thinking that this group of people is beyond grace, or we take it for granted, and we sacrifice truth in the name of grace and say, all these people, they're, they, they're all fine. And then I think it affects how we look at God, because if we think grace is complementary to the other attributes of God, because if you think about it, how does an infinitely holy God interact with a people whose righteousness is like filthy rags? It, it's grace. How does an infinitely loving God love someone who's unworthy? It's grace. And so, I want us to start today with a biblical definition, or this definition I pulled from Scripture. Uh, this is going to be our working definition of grace, or the grace of God. In your handouts, the grace of God is the unmerited favor, kindness, and blessing of God. Again, that's the unmerited favor, kindness, and blessing of God, or to make it more concise, it is his benevolence to the undeserving. The opening scripture that um, Eric led us in, it, man, that one gets me. Because at the right time, not any time, at the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 3.23 tells us this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all undeserving. But we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're, we're justified by his grace, his gift. It's unmerited. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 9 tells us this. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God, 
who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages. Again, Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then, like I said, uh, in the last couple of verses of Romans 5, while we were still weak, at the right time, God shows his love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is grace. That is unmerited favor. That is graciousness to an undeserving people. So in light of that, today I have news for us about God's grace. Some of it's going to be bad. Some of it's going to be good. And some of it's going to be hard. So I'm going to start with the bad news. The gospel of God in so many churches has been watered down and been truncated to like the last five minutes of the sermon. Pastor gets up, tells you that you're a wonderful flower in the garden of God, that, you know, exactly, that you should blossom and bloom and be that special thing. And then they spend five minutes, after spending 45 minutes telling you how wonderful they are, they're like, but you need Jesus and, and, and come to him. And you're like, well, well, why? Because I'm a wonderful flower in the garden of, I'm God's garden. What do I, what do I need this gospel for? Well, here's the bad news. None of us are good enough not to need God's grace. Look, you are preciously and wonderfully made. You are created in the image of God, and in that alone you have value. But we're also born sinners, and none of us on our own are good enough not to need the grace of God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Who sinned? All. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Sin in the world and the sin we struggle with is nothing new. Sometimes we feel like we look at the world we live in now and we're like, man, this is bad. Like nobody has ever had it as bad as we do. We watch the news, we doom scroll social media, and it's like, man, people are bad. But in Romans, I don't know if y'all noticed the theme, but there's going to be a lot of Romans in this sermon. In Romans 1, verse 29, Paul describes the people who need grace. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. 
though they know the righteous degree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Sounds a lot like the world we live in. There's a lot of bad people out there. There's a lot of bad in me. And there are those who celebrate evil. But in light of that, we can be thankful for the grace of God. But something else that we've got to keep in mind is grace is not free. I think sometimes we struggle to, you know, God's God. Why can't he just forgive sin? Why? Why? I mean, grace should be free. I mean, God created the world. He should be able to create a free grace. But grace is not free. Uh, i give you a couple of examples. I have a couple of human examples. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, all of my children have been saving up their allowances. All my little children have been saving up allowances. And they wanted to go to the store. And one of the children lost a couple of dollars. Like, no fault of their own. They had put it, you know, somewhere they thought it was safe. You know, somebody, probably me, because it was right, they probably put it right next to where I keep my change. Probably thought it was mine, went and bought a Coke or something. But uh, through no fault of their own, their $2 was missing. And they uh, were not happy at all. I mean, they were devastated. And I decided to show that child grace and said, we'll go to the store and I will spend two of my dollars for you. So in, in, that, in that case, grace was pretty cheap. It, it cost me $2. Had another situation, a little bit bigger of a situation. Uh, somebody in the house, I won't name her name. I'm married to her. Um, she dropped her phone. And, uh, you know, we expected the phone case to do its job. It did not. And me, not being a wise steward, uh, I did not have insurance on that phone because I was trusting in the, the five below phone case to protect that phone. It did not. It, was, it did the work of a $5 phone case. Um, now, I could have been like, a total jerk and be like, well, you know, you're going to pay for this phone out of your money and this, that, and the other. But I was like, you know, uh, after being a jerk, uh, I decided to show grace. And I went and got the phone repaired, and it was not $2. So there in that situation of showing grace, uh, it, it was more expensive. Um, but, but, okay, but what if we just, what if we just don't replace the thing? You know, you know, we, uh, we have a couple of Kindles in the house because they're, they're cheap to buy. And uh, one of the kids broke one of the Kindles, and it was like, I'm not going to replace it. I'm going to just throw it on the shelf. Well, see, that didn't cost me anything, right? No, I'm now out of Kindle. So we cannot give grace for free. Even Let's even move away from monetary things. If I want to show kindness to an enemy, that costs me something. If I want to show grace... To an enemy, I've got to swallow my pride. I've got to swallow my desire for them to get theirs. And even if I go beyond just being kind and I want to forgive them, I have to pay the price of my right to justice or my right to revenge or my right to get mine or them to get theirs. 
Grace is not free. The grace of God is not cheap in your notes. The grace of God is not a cheap grace. For us to give grace is not cheap. For God to give grace, it's very expensive. Multiple times in Scripture, we are reminded that we are bought with a price. And what is that price? Well, Hebrews 9 tells us this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, even through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of blood of goats or calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of faith, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify conscience from the dead works to serve God? And then again in 3.16, that, that verse we've all learned in Sunday school, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God giving us grace was expensive. We were bought with a price, a very, very, very high price. You know, I love every one of you guys, and I will sacrifice time from my children to invest in ministry of the church. I'm not going to sacrifice one of my children. I mean, no offense. Hope y'all don't think less of me, but I feel like y'all are probably the same way. But God did not withhold even his own son to show us grace. And so we need to remember we all need his grace. And that grace came at a high price. But there is good news. And the good news is this. None of us are bad enough to be beyond God's grace. None of us are bad enough to be beyond God's grace. I think I've shared with y'all before, I am one of those people who I catch myself swinging the pendulum of God reminding me not to take his grace for granted to, Lord, please do not give up on me. You know, just go one more time, God. Don't give up on me. But we are, we are never too far gone for God to redeem. 1 Timothy 1.12 says this, I think him... Actually, before I read this, I want to do a thought experiment. I need to do it before I read this because I don't want to give it away. But let's pretend there's a ladder right here, one of those tall ladders that I would be scared to get on that we're going to reach up here and get this light. It's a tall ladder. If you were to think of yourself in light of God, where on that ladder would you be? Would you be one rung up, two rung up, three rung up, halfway up, maybe a third to the top? Maybe you're all the way at the top. I want you to have that picture in your mind. Where on, the, where on this ladder of faithfulness to God do you find yourself? 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17, I thank him 
who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I think some translations say, I am the chief of sinners. Paul put, Paul the apostle, Paul the person who wrote like one-third of the New Testament, in, in light of God's righteousness, viewed himself as the chief amongst sinners. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the grace that Paul's talking about. Even though he was the chief of sinners, God still chose to save him. God chose not only to save him, but to use him. We too often let sin drive us from God, and we let sin drive us from the people of God. You know, it's it's easy to pray and worship and come to church when you're doing all the right things. When you feel like, man, when I'm when I'm in the Word, it's going awesome. You know, my my relationship with my wife and my kids is going awesome. My relationships at work are going awesome. You know, I'm not I'm not you know falling into the same traps of sin that I've always done. And then sin happens, and then we're like, hmm. You know, I, I, I probably need to go a couple of days without sin, and then I'll talk to God again. Or I'll, I'll go a couple of days of sin, and then I'll worship. I, man, you know what? I, I, I really don't want anybody at church to see me, because they might sense what's going on. And, and we allow the, the, the grace and righteousness of God that should draw us to him. We let sin convince us it should drive us away. We act like we need to clean ourselves up before we can come back to God. We, need, we act like we need to clean ourselves up before we can interact with God or the people of God, and that's silly. In the same way, it would be silly to say, hey, I need to clean up before I take a shower. I need to get better before I go to the doctor. We would say that's foolish if people did that. But yet we get this mindset of, I need to get my act together and then I'll go to church. I need to get my act together, and then I'll worship the Lord. I need to get my act together, and then I'll pray to the Lord. I'll, I'll get my act together, and so I, I can come up and pray with the prayer partners, and it just be little things I need to pray about instead of big things I need to pray about. We need to let grace break down our pride. Because we start feeling like we're not good enough for God. Uh, we're not good enough for his forgiveness. We're not good enough uh, for salvation. You know, we, we say things like, well, we'll look at David and say, Pastor, I know there's grace, but you don't know what I've done. 
But this is where the good news of grace shines because the grace of God is overwhelming. The grace of God is overwhelming. It's not just, it's not just there. It's very much there. It's overwhelmingly there. Uh, here's a gospel verse for you. I would, I would encourage all of us to know this verse. Romans 5.20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Skip Heisig puts it this way. There is no dam of sin that we can build so high that the even more grace of God cannot overwhelm it. I want you to picture that. There is, there is no stack of rocks of your sin that you can put in, in, in front of the flowing river of the Holy Spirit that His grace will not overwhelm it. And, and, and this thing I love about this verse is it says, where sin increased, grace didn't just increase, it abounded. And grace didn't just abound, it abounded all the more. I mean, this is a picture of an overwhelming grace. But here's the tough part, guys. I told you the bad news, that none of us are good enough to not need saving. And I told you the good news, that none of us are so bad that we can't be saved. Or we can't experience God's grace. But here's the hard news. God's grace does not leave us where we are unchanged. God's grace does not leave us where we are unchanged. We may come down to the altar to just as I am without one plea, but we don't stay that way. Romans 2.4, this is one that speaks to me a lot. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Sometimes, God's kindness, His, His unmerited favor and kindness and goodness to us, in our flesh, we take that for granted. We presume on it. We presume on the fact that He's kind to us. We presume on the fact He hasn't smote us yet. And we take it for granted. But the grace of God is to draw us to repentance. That, that's, that's the power. It, the grace of God is to draw us to repentance, but when we are drawn to repentance, we must die to self. Second Peter 3 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that each should reach repentance. And then Romans 13 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Grace doesn't just save us, grace changes us. Here's a life truth for you. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. 
But just as Christ died for us, we must die, now die to self. We must die to our desires and selfish ambitions to live for him. Just as Christ died for us, we must now die to self. Titus 2.11-14 for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify Him for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Zealous is a word we've been hearing around a lot of people sharing here lately. I like that that came up there. But notice it doesn't say, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, period. It's the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, comma training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So let me repeat this life truth for you. God loves you and wants a relationship with you, but just as Christ died for us, we must now die to self. Another way to put that, and there's a t-shirt for that, grace for that. There's grace for that. I'm going to jump back into uh, Romans 1. Um, and as I do that, if the worship team wants to go ahead and come up and the prayer partners want to go ahead and get ready. Don't let the devil or your flesh convince you that you are not worthy of God's grace. I'll do that for you. You're not worthy of God's grace. I am not worthy of God's grace. However, we don't have to be worthy of God's grace because it's a gift, not dependent on you or me. It's dependent on Him. Experiencing God's grace isn't about what you are doing for God. It's about what God has done for you. I've heard it put this way. Christianity is not a doing religion, it's a done religion. We don't experience righteousness or repentance because of the things we do. We experience righteousness and repentance because of the things God has done. So, you might say, I struggle with covetousness. Good news. There's grace for that. You might say, I struggle with malice. Good news. There's grace for that. You might say, I struggle with envy, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. Good news. There's grace for that. You might say, I gossip, I slander, I'm insolent, I'm haughty, I'm boastful, I invent evil, I am disobedient to my parents, I am foolish, I am faithless, I am heartless, and I am ruthless. Good news. There's grace for that. You might say, I give approval to those who practice sin. Good news. There's grace for that. But remember the hard news of grace. 
Jesus died for you, and now you and I must die for him. We must die to our sin. We must die to our pride. We must die to our fleshly desires. So how do I apply that? One of the things I do with, with, in men's ministries, I, I try to end everything with a challenge for the week. And here's my challenge for you guys. Um, as you go on with your week, as you have an opportunity to pray with the prayer partners. Challenge number one, sh- take the opportunity for the prayer partners that will be here and share your struggle, your sin, and let them pray with you that you will experience more of God's grace, that you will experience the overwhelming aboundingness of God's grace. Second thing, I challenge us not to presume on the riches and kindness and forbearance of God. Let's not take God's grace for granted. Let it draw us to repentance. And then here's the last one. Look for evidences of God's grace in others, even our enemies. Um, We fall into... Just like people today doom scroll, doom scroll social media, we doom scroll life. We, we look, we look and notice the things that upset us. We look and notice the things that bring about negative emotions. I saw a thing where 60% of all news stories are negative because something in our flesh is drawn towards that. But we as Christians do not need to be drawn to that. We need to be drawn to see the evidences of grace of God in the world, in those around us, even our enemies. So let's take this time and let's respond to the grace of God. Father God, I thank you for this gift. I thank you for this this attribute of you, of graciousness that allows us to live in fellowship with a immensely holy and righteous you. And so, Lord, I pray that you will speak to our hearts. And Lord, I pray we will not hold back ourselves from the grace that you are giving in our lives. In Jesus' name.